Please be advised that this episode carries a content warning for religious upbringing, miscarriage, and suicide. Happy holidays, and welcome to Certain Point of Yule. Now is the season of our Christmas content, which means that we plan on watching those new Christmas movies so you don't have to. I'm Frankie. And I'm John. We're coming close to the end of our limited run. We have maybe four more episodes to go. Today we're going to be talking about a New York Christmas wedding. It was released on November 6th of 2020 in Australia. I can't get the U.S. release date. I'm sorry. I know that's weird. It's currently streaming on Netflix and stars Nia Fairweather as Jennifer, Adriana DeMaio, 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 I'm sorry, Adriana, correct me, uh, as Gabrielle, Cooper Koch as Azrael, and it's directed by Otoha Abit, who also, if I butchered your name, I apologize, who also played David, which I thought was a weird flex. A bit, but, I mean, Taika Wahiti played Kord in Thor uh, Ragnarok, so, like, why not? He can do whatever he wants, though. <laughs> <laughs> and Otoha can't? I, I don't know him. Well, that's fair. When we first sat down to watch this movie, we thought it was going to be something completely different. The tagline of this movie was, if you could do it over again, would you? Or something to that effect. And the description of this movie was, a yuletide angel shows a bride what could have been if she had followed her secret feelings for her best friend. Which doesn't really tell us a lot about what this movie is going to be about. No, and the trailer I would definitely put under the bad when we finally get around to it, because it's, they picked probably one of the most awkward scenes in the movie to be its trailer, and it I'm going to put that on Netflix. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's not really on the movie no. so much as it is on Netflix. No, of course it's not. It's not on the movie itself. I'm still going to put it in the bad category because the trailer of a movie is like, it's part of why we watch it. It's the trailer's job to like get us interested. And well, it, it did get us interested, but not for a good reason. So as I mentioned in the brief description after witnessing a queer hipster get hit by a car in Manhattan, Jennifer Ortiz wakes up in an alternate universe where her first love and her father are both still alive, which gives her an opportunity to find the answers to lifelong questions. I know my description doesn't clarify things much more than the original one does, but I think mine is a little bit better. Let's talk about the things that we liked. It was hella gay. It was hella gay. It was secretly gay. Yep. It was secretly gay. Why would you bury that? Why would that not be explicitly in the description? Why would you not put that she's been living in the closet or that she's bisexual? I don't know, something. So that we could be pleasantly surprised by it when it happened? I don't know. I went into this thinking that this was going to be a very campy, straight narrative movie. And while I was pleasantly surprised, I kind of would have liked to know that sooner. I would have watched this much sooner. Yeah, I thought this is going to be like a hot mess of a low-budget indie film. Uh, because, again, the trailer does not do this movie justice. They did not pick Netflix. You did bad. You did a bad. You you did a bad. But, I mean, the movie was, was great. It was what we had wished... What was the movie called? Happiest Season. It was what we wished Happiest Season would have been. Honestly, it was, because 
when we sat down to watch Happiest Season, I was expecting a joyful rom-com about Christmas and about love. And really, it was about trauma and it was about how difficult it is to be queer around your conservative family. And it wasn't really about the magic of Christmas. Whereas this movie really focused in on the magic of Christmas, which, you know, that's what I want from a movie like this. Yeah. Also, it did have a bit to do with growing up as a queer person in a religious community. That was a huge chunk of the movie. But uh, even though I have my own personal issues with religion and organized religion as I was raised with it, I still found this to be really authentic and to be really emotional. Because while I didn't want to get married in a church due to my personal feelings and to my relationship with my dad and whatever, these two characters that we focus in on, they start speaking out for same-sex marriages being sanctified by the church, which if you're raised in the church and you have a legacy there and you have memories there, it's your community, it's your family, of course you're going to want to have your biggest memories, your biggest joys there as well. Yeah, um, and they're the um, the best friend who is, is going to be the wife in this alternate universe. She is very dead set on getting married in this church by the priest that they've, like, grown up getting you know religion from um and she's she's very very adamant she tells him you are going to marry us it doesn't be it's not a question she just makes it a declarative statement i don't i don't care about what you think the church's policy on this is you are going to marry us this christmas gabrielle is awesome and i love her she is amazing there are so many great like um um on, on just the uh, side of the good things, when Jennifer punches Vinny in the face. Oh, I loved when she punched Vinny in the face. Vinny is, this movie is so, so painfully New York. It's so New York. <laughs> painfully so. In all of the best ways that you can be New York, this, this movie is. And in some of the worst ways. Um, Vinny being a, a classic example of the worst ways that you can be New York and the worst ways that you can just be an adult man. Like, God, Vinny. So another thing that I really liked about this is there was never this trauma of being closeted. There was kind of the uncertainty of not knowing what will happen if you tell your crush your feelings. But that's universal and I don't feel like it's quite the same as being in the closet and I'm not even really sure if Jennifer is in the closet when we first meet her she's engaged to this man named David who is like the heir to a fortune 500 company and David seems nice but I kind of hated him. That's because he's that's because he's Melba toast David is the Melba toast of men He's just boring, he's bland, he doesn't stand up to his overbearing mother, he just sort of exists. He is a placeholder. He is very respectful, though. No, he is very, very <laughs> respectful, as we find later in the movie. Um, but, like, he's, he's a boring, bland, just, he's a man. So it was unclear if Jennifer really loved him, or if she was just in this relationship with him, because that's what she thought she was supposed to do. She, yeah. she thought she was supposed to marry a rich man and have a life that she thought her father would have wanted for her. 
I'm not sure if Jennifer is in the closet because when we go over into the alternate universe, like there's never any indication that it was an awkward conversation with her father. It's just treated as like a normal thing. No, I know. That's what I'm saying yeah. is that there we don't have any of that trauma. We don't have any. Well, Gabrielle has that trauma in the alternate universe. She states that when she came out as gay to her parents, they disowned her. Yes. And that is a realistic outcome for a lot of queer youth but for that to not be the focus was very unique yeah it was it was mentioned in the scene and but it was mentioned in the scene of gabrielle talking about how much she loved and appreciated uh jennifer's dad who like just was was great just throughout the entire thing a delightful amazing character yeah i'm really talking more about jennifer in the main reality i guess where we first meet her i'm not sure she's in the closet yeah because it's possible that her father knew but i don't know if her fiance knows i don't know if his parents know does she uh, identify as bisexual or is she strictly a lesbian these are questions that we don't get answered the, the, the movie does not um go into too much detail on the specifics of um, Jennifer's sexuality, just that it, it is not straight. Right. And I, I just appreciate that so much. I like to think that she is bisexual. She just realized that David wasn't the right partner for her. Yeah, well, that's because he is Melba Toast, and she is, like, at, like, at minimum, a Triscuit. I like Triscuits, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> I think that they're a great, very versatile, and amazing cracker. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was that much of a compliment as you meant it to be. I like Triscuits! This movie is also incredibly diverse. Um, there's a lot of queer representation. There's a lot of non-binary representation. Our main character is a woman of color. It is set mostly in a diverse community in Queens, Uh, As I mentioned, there is a religious aspect, which can be hard for a lot of people, especially growing up queer, but I felt that the way that it was portrayed was through a queer lens, which made it a lot easier to consume. Yes. It wasn't like the last movie that we watched, It's a Wonderful Life, was very, very religious in that the family was like religious and they prayed a lot. And like there were literally angels all over the place, and there were angels. There was an angel there was in this one. one. There was one angel. solitary angel in this one too. But the religious aspect of the movie was mostly we are going to get married in this church that we've been going to our entire lives, and in like the church community's like acceptance of queer relationships and and gay marriage. Um, but like beyond that, it was just like it a was... set piece. It was really about culture and community more than it was about actual yes. religion. Yes, which absolutely. Which is different. Yes, and I love how their priest handled it when he finally like came out and was like, that scene though. Well, he didn't come out. That's well, a different no, phrase. Okay. I, when, when he, I, I, sorry, I started saying a thought and then I got sidetracked by a note that when he came out in favor of gay marriage there was go. where that thought was going to go. But like when he did that, that scene was very like, it was whiplash inducing because it made it seem like he was going to be dead set against it. And then he like flipped it on you. It's like, aha, judo. (laughs) And I wasn't sure where we were going with that. There were a lot of periods in this movie where I was afraid 
that the straight narrative was going to be reinforced and Jennifer was going to realize, no, the life I had all along was the right life for me. It really makes it like in as we start to move into like act three, it really makes it seem like we are going to just be like completely do away with our beautiful queer alternate universe and just go back over to the straight one and just be like, all right. I was stressed out, but not in a negative way, in a, like, this is tense drama kind of way. Yeah. I was I was ready to be disappointed in this movie throughout the entire thing, and each time I was ready to be disappointed in it, it uh, defied my expectations in, in beautiful, beautiful ways. I do, however, want to point out, this is just a weird flex on their part, uh, her guardian angel, Azrael, is the angel of death. That is that is Except, where Azrael falls within the, the the canon of Jesus. Okay, so he's not actually the angel of death. I don't know if you missed this, but he's the like spirit of Gabby's son that was never born. I know, but that's also not how angels work. No, I know. And it's just like this is what I would file under the things that aren't good. Yeah, like this, like. Not a great, there are so many names that end in L that you can just like use for like the, the whole canon of angels, like, like, like Uriel or Gabriel or Michael. I kind of like that they chose Azrael though, because when he's defining his name, he's like, oh, it has to do with destruction. And he really does come in and destroys everything Jennifer thought about her life. Yeah. I thought it was appropriate. I thought it was a weird flex. I hated that he was like, my name is Azrael Gabison, Gabby's son. And like, that is how I last that name, was stupid. that is how last names used to work. But like, you could have done like, I don't know if it was the way you read the line or if it was just the way that the line was written, but it was very inauthentic. It was like, look at how clever we are. Yeah. Do you see what we did there? I do. I do. Please stop hitting me in the head with it. Yeah, I, that was one of the things I didn't like. Um, in the original timeline, we find out that Jennifer, our main character, her father and her best friend both died, I think within years of each other, very close to each other. And Jennifer never really found out why or how her best friend died. And we learn a little bit about that backstory, that her best friend got pregnant, she miscarried, and she walked into traffic and committed suicide. And Azrael, as we mentioned, is the spirit of that baby that she lost. And it's just so wild, and I don't like that at all. You didn't need this narrative. Yeah. This narrative did not need to exist. No. the the Like, if you just want to give her a guardian angel, fine. If you want to make him an absolutely delightful, sassy gay man, completely fine. But can we just not have, like, trauma caused by miscarriages as, like, a primary plot element in movies anymore? Because, like, can we just not? It I, added nothing to, to the plot other than, here's some trauma. If you wanted Gabby to still have died and for it to be something that could have been prevented by maintaining friendship with Jennifer. It could have been something else entirely. She could have gotten involved in gang life because of Vinny. Anything else, I just, I hate this narrative. There are other ways to maintain 
the integrity of the plot you're trying to put together without introducing this particular drama. Another thing that I wasn't really happy about is that we don't get an idea of Jennifer's professional life in this alternate universe. Granted, the point of the alternate universe is to give her an opportunity to explore a relationship with Gabby and to also reconnect with her father, but... We also find Jennifer at the start of the movie having switched careers entirely. She used to work for... Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So she used to be in finance. And when we first meet her, she's in a vet's office and she's getting worked up over a dog being put down. Which, yeah, me too. Um, But she's very emotional about it because it's her first time experiencing it. And also she's lost people in her life. So it kind of sets up why death is hard for her and how she's like i'm gonna like toughen up i'm going to get used to it and i'm gonna be there for these animals great but when we explore this alternate reality we also don't really get a sense of jennifer's desires professionally on top of her desires romantically yeah that's that's fair that is that is a thing that is kind of overlooked uh, and again, you're right. It is because like that's not the focus of this alternate universe, but it kind of makes her a little bit of an incomplete character um, in this alternate place. Um, one of the things that I didn't like about this movie was I just realized it. David's parents. Oh God, I hated mostly David's parents. mostly his his mother, who was just like overbearing and uh, like very very controlling and just a a bad person. Like, she says something at one point, and it's like, I am handling, like, all of the details of this because you can't be bothered to make a decision or something to that effect. And it's just, like, one, horrifically rude. Two, like, Christmas is a hard time for our girl Jennifer because of the people that she's lost. And now you're just like, oh, BT dubs, you're getting married on Christmas Eve, and also you have to wear bright red. Uh, because I said so. It's just... It's very, very rude. Yeah, she keeps, like, pointing out these decorations and everything, and Jennifer's like, I don't want this. I just want to go down to City Hall. Why can't we just do that? And David's father just kind of, like, lets it all happen. And that's why David is the way he is, because he learned it from his dad. Yeah. And David doesn't stand up for Jennifer at all. And Mm. this is one of the reasons why I'm happy with Jennifer leaving him. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I say that David is, is Melbatos because he just he just sits there and lets his mother, one, completely take over his wedding. And I get that it's like the classic thing in like wedding media for like men to not be involved in this, but also like be involved in the process. It is an important day for you as well. Mm-hmm. But then like he just he lets his mother like berate his soon to be wife. It's like grow a spine david your mom's a bad person though if anyone starts to feel bad for david in the alternate reality he does get married and have two beautiful children so he's fine yeah no david's david's (laughs) fine he is a he is a conventionally attractive rich man like he'll always be fine (laughs) he'll be fine it's totally fine um oh we forgot about the time travel aspect Oh, yeah. I don't love the time travel aspect. It is... There is a precedent for it. Are you familiar with the movie 13 Going on 30? Uh, yeah. So the idea of 13 Going on 30 is that the main character could not go back to when she was 13. 
So she just has to live with the choices that were made without like her active participation, basically, because she jumped to being 30. Right. And that's what this time travel jump reminded me of. She was able to go back to that one moment and make a change. Yeah, uh, but, like, when she goes over into the alternate timeline, like, she's not given, like, knowledge of this new timeline, which feels kind of, like, rude on Asriel's part. <laughs> he just sort of jumps her to literally the same time that the quote-unquote real timeline was happening in, but, like, now with no knowledge of the time that's passed. So she's unaware that she's supposed to, like, meet her... She's supposed to meet gabrielle at the church or that like she has like a dog and that the dog is a boy named smudge and that like it has to he has to be fed and like just all of the stuff that happens there like she just she does not get to know any of those things and it just feels like if you have the power to bring her into an alternate uh like timeline why don't you have the power to implant the memories of what happened in this timeline in her head because then she wouldn't learn anything mm. But like she'd have point. already I feel like she'd have already learned it at that point because she'd have known what had happened. But she wouldn't be able to like explore and figure out what she needed answers to. Mm, fair. It just I feel like it would have removed a lot of the unnecessary awkwardness from these scenes if she just like knew like, ah yes, I'm supposed or like even if there was just like a note on her desk that they had let her see that so she knew she had to be at the church. I did feel that Jennifer was very slow on the uptake. Well, yes. She she was very unwilling to believe that, like, she's in an It's a Wonderful Life situation. Uh, I think that's it for what we can really talk about. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, overall, the the, the things that were good and bad about this movie were, like, big thematic things, and there weren't so many, like, smaller individual moments that I really stood out to me i liked that there were a lot of queer people i liked that there were a lot of people of color i liked that it was a wholesome feel-good movie about being queer and nobody had to be made to feel bad at any point yes. for being queer i think the last thing that i want to talk about that i i was like i i did not like when it happened was asriel showing up like like right after her wedding and being like okay like you you got to now finally be happy and like marry your best friend and now we're gonna leave because this is a fake universe and you don't get to stay here you have to go back to your boring husband and it's like well why would you and then it's like oh but bt dubs we can time travel i can give you one gift the gift couldn't have just been stay in the other universe you nope. built a whole universe. Why can't she just stay there? No, we have to go back. And then you get to travel back in time and do it all again. <sighs> Feels like you could have just not squeezed my heart like a stress ball for a while and just let her stay in the alternate universe, Azriel. I don't know. I think while I agree with you that that felt kind of unnecessary at the same time from a narrative standpoint, returning to your life and seeing how you have changed in absolutely no time at all can be a necessary uh, narrative moment. 
Yeah, and I, I do get that. It just felt very much like they were pushing us back onto the, like, straight heteronormative right. relationship track, and that made me, like, very uncomfortable after the whole movie had been so delightfully queer. Right. I was worried that she was going to have to go home and be like, well, now I have to end my relationship with my fiancé and, like, go out and find myself a girlfriend because she already had Gabby, and Gabby made her so happy and just... Having to go out and rebuild that happiness, that's exhausting. Um, oh, last thing that I did like, when she went back to the real universe and she goes back to find uh, the priest that they had marry them in the uh, fake universe, um, he still, like, went ahead and, like, was all for... So it wasn't, like, Gabby and Jennifer pushing him that made him do this although i guess it, it was gabby to a certain extent with uh the issue of her miscarriage but like he still wound up having the same character development and still like did secret gay weddings now and that's what got him kicked out of the church it's like ooh, it's very scandalous but like i'm glad that he still had that character development um in both universes I like that the little old lady at the rectory was also a lesbian. Yes, he did. Yeah, he married me and my wife. And it's like, oh, that's lovely. I'm glad that you still get to work here. <laughs> that was sweet. That was sweet. All right. I think we have exhausted all topics of conversation. Yes, that is everything that I, I wanted to talk about. And I think if I think of anything else, oh, well, it's too late. Let's give it our arbitrary rating. Out of uh, how many treetoppers? I would give this a three and a half out of five tree toppers. It was good. It was wonderfully queer, but there were enough moments where I got very, very nervous about where the plot was going that it sort of ruined my overall enjoyment of it. I also give it a three and a half, but for different reasons. Three and a half because it was so close, but it wasn't quite there in terms of quality and in terms of screenwriting there were some plot points that just were unnecessary it wasn't as tight as it could could have been while i liked the overall message and i'm definitely going to recommend this to everyone because i think it's worth watching it still could have been a lot better so that was a new york christmas wedding thanks for joining us for this limited run of certain point of view certain point of view is a certain point of view production Head over to CertainPOV.com to find a link to our Discord and join in the conversation. I'm Frankie. And I'm John. Happy holidays. We love you. Goodbye. POV. Certain POV.com.